Howdy, folks. Before we start this session of Bebop Tabletop, we just want to say thanks to all our listeners, Twitter followers, and everyone who supported us along the journey. If you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on your listening app of choice. It would help us out more than a sack full of oolongs. Now, hit it. Three, two, one. This is Bebop Tabletop, the podcast that's turning each episode of Cowboy Bebop into a tabletop RPG. I'm Andrew Wu. I'm Lee Jo John. And together, we're remixing the characters, music, and themes into a game you can play. Let's jam. Hello, chess masters. Welcome to Bebop Tabletop. We're back on schedule. <laughs> it's session 14, Bohemian Rhapsody. You've already heard his voice. You love him as much as I do. Say hi to Lee Joe. Hello, hello. Today, we are looking at some chess. We are looking at some rival bounty hunting. We are looking for a grandmaster and a mastermind. We're looking at a little bit of the politics in the world. Corporations control over necessary infrastructure. I'm not saying that this is a cyberpunk dystopia, but this feels like a cyberpunk dystopia. The space western is a criticism of capitalism. There is a reason why bounty hunting is so appealing to the masses, right? Because mostly they have huge debts to pay and no one who cares enough to help them. Yeah, it does seem like the social safety net of the Bebop universe is nothing. Uh, death and, you know, joining a crime syndicate. Yeah, that might explain why the, why the syndicates are so powerful. Lots of disaffected youth. Yeah, that and, I mean, again, we are in a situation where there's enough criminals uh, that even, you know, those who are not keen on the criminal life can get a criminal manual to learn how to do crime. Only, was it, only 30 wulongs? Surprisingly cheap, right? That's still 15 eins, so it, it is worth... Uh, again, we, we've talked about this a lot. It's either that dogs are real cheap or money is real expensive. <laughs> yeah, unclear. It's, um, we, we really don't get any other real frame of reference when it comes to mundane like items, right? Yeah, so the thing that comes to mind about pricing is that Phase ship was in the range of something like 200 or 300,000 wulongs. Maybe a couple weeks ago we saw that the ship's safe only had 20,000 wulongs in it, and that was considered, you know, at least by Faye, it was considered not a lot to run away with, like to steal. Or at least it wasn't enough that a normal person would chase after it. It wasn't worth the chase. Right, yeah. Like My, my assumption is that you know, ship maintenance would eat all of that away in mm. a heartbeat. Yeah, we, we need to find out what the cost of beef is out there and why we never have it. It's a, it's a real tragedy, you know? Sometimes you just really want some beef. But apparently too expensive for space cow. They call them space cowboys, but I never see them eat space cow meat. I was going to say, in space no one can hear you moo, but that's um, that's terrible. And I demand you cut this out. Oh, too late <laughs> now. You ready for a summary, Lee Joe? Please, hurry. The Bebop crew successfully nabbed 20 criminals who hacked an astral gate. But unfortunately for them, no mastermind, no reward. They each come back with the same clue, an identical king chess piece. While Ed starts a chess match over the internet, Spike determines that the hijacking is an inside job. Faye reveals that the criminals were just following instructions. Jet visits the Gate Corporation, who put out the 12 million Wulong bounty. 
He plants a bug in a cigarette and listens as the executives reveal that a former employee, Chessmaster Hex, is responsible for the hack. Using Ed's chessboard, the gang tracks Hex down to the Bohemian Junk Heap, where cats, dogs, and hippies live free from government control. Faye and Spike find Hex and discover that the angry man with a hacking plan is just an old man who loves games. Jet cuts a deal with the Gate Corporation to leave Ed's favorite chess partner alone. Uh, Lijo, so so we, we were talking a little bit already about the kind of like this. This is like the political episode of this show. Like every, everything else, always kind of hints at that dystopian nightmare that they live in. But so far, this is the most explicitly. Uh, I don't know about anti-corporate, but but definitely corporations are not the good guys in this world. And that may also be uh, tinted with our current state of affairs where uh, trust in corporations is honestly at an all-time low and trust in institutions altogether. Uh, pretty much every future space western cyberpunk setting, we we kind of see the natural progression of of this, you know, corporate you know, oligarchy is just these mega corporations who own everything and they treat people like nothing, right? And that's inherently uh, what we see here. The Gate Corporation doesn't really seem to care about the sabotage and the fact that they're stealing money. They're just a- afraid somebody's going to find out about this chess master who uh, warned them early on that the, that the gates weren't ready. And as we are led to believe... This is the reason Earth was more or less destroyed, because the astral gates exploded uh, in, you know, 2021, which would not be a downgrade. Yeah, like so you're saying that the, the astral gate explosion is a metaphor for COVID-19. I'm hoping that we uh, continue to progress forward like they did after the astral gates, but uh, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I didn't mention it in the summary, but Spike runs into a rival, right? John. I think you you mentioned that his he's Jonathan in the in, in the, the in the Japanese. Sub, yes, he, they um, they call him Jonathan, um, and he again. It's I don't under I don't know what the why they would change it in the dubs, but it's it's not a huge deal. I mean, he's not like the most mm. important character anywhere, but he wants his money back. Yeah, he, so you know you got to chase Jet and the crew down. Right. Yeah. That that's kind of highlighting that that dystopia again, right? Like that idea that he got, he got swindled, right? He was a victim of the gate hacking and his only recourse was going after the person that hacked him and then finding out that that wasn't viable made it so that he really has nothing, no, no other backup plan at this point, right? He joined the Bohemians. They kind of imply that, you know, once your money has, has left the area and gone to the moon Europa, uh, you're, it's gone. There's no way to get that money back. So at this point, yeah, Jonathan is ruined. So you might as well kick back and relax with the other hippies, right? <laughs> it is a little silly that Chessmaster Hex waited 50 years to enact his plan. Clearly in the story, they, they mention it's due to them upgrading their security protocols, I believe, uh, that the whole kind of, you know, master plan kicked into action. But... 50 years is definitely too much time to stew on something. Yeah, I, I wonder also. So, you know, we we learn nothing about Hex himself after he's fired, right? So we, what do we learn about Hex? We, we see that he was some chess genius. He gets hired by the Gate Corporation in his 30s, works there until they fire him for discovering that flaw. 
and then enacts a 50-year plan at that point, right? We don't know what happened to him in that 50 years, really, right? As far as we know, he could have calmed down 10 years in and been like, well, that's eh, fine. <laughs> like, maybe he had no, no intention of triggering it anymore. But, but we don't know that, right? I wonder, too, like, you mentioned that the money goes to Europa and just kind of disappears. I wonder if he was planning on recouping that money, or because it, does, it doesn't seem like he was motivated by the finances, right? He was he was more concerned about. Honestly, he was just concerned about screwing the company, right? I don't think he cared about money. I don't think uh, the safety concern, sure, was, was probably real, but more he was just trying to stick it to the Astral Gate corpo, corpse, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, let's face it, uh, he was spot on, and because they ignored his warning, Earth was irreparably damaged. So like, he is vindicated with everything. Really, it sounds like he's mostly just trying to... He's mostly trying to punish a company that's done a great evil and that seems to have swept everything under the rug. It's, it's What's weird, though, is that he has also done no... Okay, so, like, you know, terrorism 101 here, right? Like, you, you, you're trying to get a message out, <laughs> right? And it doesn't look like that's working. Right. Yeah, people are getting hacked. The gates look bad. The, the the gate corporation looks bad because people are losing their life savings, right, as they pass through the gate. But there is no like call to action, right? There's no there's no like, hey, the corps the, the gate corp is bad. Uh, they screwed up, right? There, there's none of that. <laughs> so there's like it's a very ineffective method. Honestly, as an engineer myself, that sounds like a very engineering answer to this problem. It is a a solution that I'm just going to assume that everyone else understands what I'm going for here and not explain any further. Yeah, there, there is no problem with that. This will definitely work perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be fair, it did cause the corporation to panic significantly. So, yeah, it did get yeah. somebody's attention. Like, we, we haven't talked too much about world building yet. Right? But I think this is the first episode where we're really looking at well i guess we we did a little bit on venus we talked about how a, a person could not afford basic medications to to prevent some disease right and here we're looking at kind of the other side of it right a, a large corporation and what they do to maintain that power structure and what they do to cover up their own mistakes right uh, we got a little bit on ganymede about uh, a government Again, dealing with terrorists, right? <laughs> Willing to give, send them money to prevent a terrorist attack and still being ineffective at it, right? Uh, I guess we'll start... I, I don't remember, actually. In, I know in the end we start looking at the syndicate some more and their structure. But they, they, I, as far as I remember, they are like the most competent group of these major organizations, <laughs> right? Like, they have a brutal and hierarchical system, but but it seems to be efficient. Again, it's always the idea that governments are always like this this sluggish bureaucratic monstrosity that it, it they do nothing to help the the common man, right? Or at the very least they seem to protect vested interests. So mo- many mm. of the mainland planets seem to be pretty great all things considered, uh, but with several moons being neglected completely. Mars is a pretty fun, vibrant place, but we just came from 
Callisto, and Callisto is a nightmare. Yeah, and, and we know that Mars requires money to enjoy. So, I think this, this is as good a time as any to start talking about a ship movement in combat and the ship encounter. Now, we don't have a dogfight in this episode, but it has been something that I've been ignoring for a while now. One of the more flashy parts of Cowboy Bebop is the the dogfights in air, the dogfights in space. And one thing we are trying to consider about how we want to move forward with uh, these type of encounters is basically ship design. When we talked to Jack and Meg last week, one of the things I noticed was how excited Jack was to design his own ship, right? Like how excited he was to say, oh, and, you know, like these are... I, I get the impression, and, and Jack, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I get the impression that in high school, Jack was doodling ship designs and and uh, ready to fly them just, just so that he could hop out into space one day. Well, I mean, doesn't everybody... Well, we're a bunch of nerds, so please uh, take this with a caveat. But I think that space and space flight is always uh, a fantasy for many of us. I don't know if my my designs for my potential Zipcraft would look anything like the Bebop designs because I also like everything to be sleek and modern. But I think that having a spaceship of your own is is definitely a fantasy. So I think what inherently we need to consider is customization and what's the value in putting certain things here and there if i want a speedy zip craft that isn't really a gunner uh how do i do that or if i want a tank of a ship uh that that doesn't get hurt uh what do i do or if i just want kind of an all-around you know jack of all trades type ship how do i make that happen and that's one of those things where we need to discuss where do we go from here so the way i had considered these is using your zipcraft and using ships in general as kind of an extension of your player character. I think we mentioned last week how maybe they could act sort of like how pets work or how familiars work in other games where they have their own, yeah, they, they kind of have their own actions associated with them and they can be upgraded or they can be modified just similar, similarly, like maybe in a smaller sense, but similarly to how your own player character can be modified. One of the ways I thought of to do this was to have, uh, similar to your, like, your player character sheet, you'd have a, a zip craft sheet, and that sheet would have, it would have different actions. So, so similar to how our skills packet work, our skill envelope work, uh, you could have a list of skills for your ship, and that corresponds to the kind of equipment you have on board. So if you are just a basic ship, you would have a fly stat of some kind or maybe a handful of stats associated with flying. And those, uh, not stats per se, because like we don't do stats in the traditional sense, uh, but like a list of skills. And each of those skills would have... Uh, similar to our own personal player skills, would have a dice to roll. So if your ship is perfectly average, it is an average, it is the family sedan of, of you know, spaceships, right? We're just taking this on a camping trip to Europa or whatever. 
it handles fine. It handles it handles like a bistro. Uh, it, it drives just fine. It can't go real fast. It doesn't do anything super fancy. It can't turn real tight. So when you have to fly that ship in some sort of encounter or in a skill check, uh, you would roll a d4, just like your your player in a situation where they're not particularly skilled at some encounter would also roll a d4. Uh, similarly, so if we're taking that same family sedan and we're saying, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to boost the hell out of this thing. I'm going to I'm going to upgrade the engine, swap it out. It's going to be it's it's going to be a full I and you know, of course you get that flame decal on the side to make sure that everybody knows that it's really cool. You can't tell if a car is fast if you can't see the flame decal, you know? Exactly. Right? That's the only way to know. Uh, once once you've attached that flame decal, your ship is now super fast. So, it rolls a D6 when you're doing a speed check of some kind instead, right? You've upgraded a part. Right. Um, so just uh, we haven't talked sorry, too much. Uh, yep. Sorry to interrupt, but I just want to clarify. Uh, you, it sounds like you want to separate a player's fly ability or piloting ability and the ship's ability to fly. I assume you're separating somebody who is capable of piloting and some and a ship that is easy to pilot. Correct. Well, so so I want to think about it in terms of simplicity. Right, our system is still aiming for simplicity. I have no idea if it's actually simple, but we're still aiming for an ease of uh, using your skills. So the way I would consider it is because they are are separate concepts still, right? Your ability to fly something is not necessarily tied to the ship's ability to be flown. So uh, the, the easiest way might be to have both of those skills still in existence, But as the player, you get to choose which one you want to use, most likely the higher one, right? So I guess the analog would be like if you, your character is incredibly good at flying everything, right? That is what your piloting skill is. You're you're a D8 instead of a typical person, yeah, like like most of us with no specific training, you know, we just have our license to drive a car, right? That's a D4, I think. Uh, Most of us think we're a D6, but we're mostly D4s. Uh, as can be attested by the number of people, you know, not using their turn signals. <laughs> if you use your turn signal, that's a D6. I'm going to say that right now. If you are flying a ship, if you are very good at flying all kinds of ships, that might bump you up to a D6 or a D8. But the ship itself might suck, <laughs> right? It might only be still a D4. But in in story, like in the narrative, you might be able to convince me that it's like okay yeah i'm I, i've got a d8 skill so when i'm flying this piece of junk right with its with its d4 handling uh, my skill allows me to figure that out where where it's kind of deficient and bump these up to a higher level right like maybe i'm and i don't really want to average it out because i think that that feels a little bit there, there's lots of weird edge cases when you mm-hmm. do that right if you're if your driving skills a d10 and the ship's a d4 what does that land at i, I don't know Right, so so maybe for simplicity's sake, it's just you get to choose the highest of your skill or the ship's skill. I think that's right. fair, right? Yeah, and that that might be the way to uh, keep both sets of skills, right? And and yeah, it, it, you know, it, it might devalue upgrading your ship's flying ability, right? Like because like, well, my my person is very very good at flying, so. 
why should I ever upgrade my ship's flying, right? I would argue that's exactly Bebop, where all the ships that they own are mostly junk, but the, since they happen mm-hmm. to be a talented pilots, they make it work. Right, yeah. Yeah, there was never a situation where Ed's got to fly, right, and finds out that the ship is garbage. <laughs> Speaking of that, I guess, then would you have a separate stat block for their main ship? Because we're we're kind of implying Zipcraft combat as opposed to actually fighting on the Bebop, which I don't even know if the Bebop has any weapons. It is a fishing. I, I don't yeah. think it does. Yeah. So it is essentially a big hangar, right? That, that's about it. Um, well, so one, one of the things we, we've mentioned a handful of times is this idea that you can upgrade your hub ship uh, with things like an armory, right? So if you upgrade your armory and you stock it with weapons or... Uh, or you like upgrade a med bay of some kind, right? Like, and you have different medicines. Or you upgrade your fridge, right? And now you have Ganymede rock lobsters. Like the idea there is that th- upgrading your home should make your characters better. Like it should boost you in some way. But those upgrades also have to cost money, and that also I, I think just just to make it also make sense. Uh, your ship probably has a limited number of slots that can be upgraded, right? Like, I can install an armory, but I can't also install, like, luxury baths, right? Like, it's like I can, like, there is space enough for one of those, right? But not for both, right? So uh, one of the ways I was thinking about it was having specific slots or, like, having, like, a, a ship might just be, the the ship sheet, ship sheet is... A collection of slots. It's a collection of, um, you know, so similar to how your your collection of skills is like a bunch of verbs that your character can perform. Uh, The slots on your ship are analogous to those skills, right? Like uh, this ship has a has an armory slot, right? So during downtime or during during the hunt or during, uh, you know, a phase where you're not in the middle of action or maybe even while you're in the middle of action, right? You can say, hey, we've got an armory on board and now I'm going to use the ship's armory uh, slot, its action, to do something, right? We all have grenades now because of this, right? Yeah, I, I think in my personal opinion, I would love if there was one active boon and one passive boon. Perhaps upgrading your med bay allows you to treat more serious injuries without needing a doctor. And that's kind of the passive boon. Maybe the active boon is um, you are able to treat, you know, minor wounds in the field of duty uh, faster. Like, you don't have to worry about, you know, mm-hmm. you know being grazed by a bullet. You'll, you know how to treat these wounds better. I'm not sure exactly what I'd want to do, but I would like some value into... Upgrading again, as we we've talked before, we're not a uh, zero to hero sort of game, but we do want some sort of progression. Right, and that progression comes about in ship upgrades. Mm-hmm. Right, in almost like I think there were other games where your characters don't gain levels, but you just get more and more powerful magical items. Right, it's kind of that idea. Right, that we're accruing wealth through our yeah yeah like we're accruing wealth that that is our up, that is our level up effectively our our characters you know paired with our bottoming out 
our characters are getting like more and more ragged while our ships are getting shinier and shinier. <laughs> Yeah, to continue the the idea of upgrading your zipcraft, right? So, for example, uh, I don't think we ever see Jet's hammerhead, his his zipcraft. I don't think we ever see it fire anything, right? It doesn't have like a machine gun. As far as I'm aware, I don't. I think the only thing we've seen is this kind of grappling hook arm thing. Yeah. So, so like in my mind, the way you would construct that ship is that. First, it's a standard ship, right? So it has the ability to fly. And maybe that engine or whatever is upgraded, so maybe there's some upgraded dice rolls on those checks. Uh, but what it has mostly is a slot that could have been filled with a weapon or could have been filled with heavier armor or maybe like cargo space. Like if you're a smuggler, like you'd maybe want more cargo space to hold more things or passengers even. Uh, but instead, you know, Jet has outfitted his ship with something special. Like, he's outfitted it with a grappling hook. And it has some skill associated with it, right? Like, if it's just a, if you bought a cheap, off-the-shelf grappling hook, that's your D4. Right? Whenever you need to grapple something, you roll a D4 to, to attempt it, right? Uh, he could have gone for a more expensive model, right, and rolled a D6 or a D8 instead. Or, you know, if he says, well, you know, I'm not really... I don't really need to tow anything anymore. It, it just hasn't, you know, today is not, the, these kind of missions that I'm taking don't really need it. So maybe he'll swap that out and instead replace it with a machine gun, right? And the same, right? Like if he buys an off-the-shelf cheap one, it rolls a D4 in combat. But if he wants something fancier, uh, you know, he can upgrade that dice. I think a consequence of that also would then be, yeah, when you buy ammunition, or when your when your equipment needs maintenance, well, that's going to cost more money. Also, so maybe uh, we might be building in weapon degradation into this, right? Like if you don't maintain it, well, your D eight that you paid for is now a D six. Uh, alternatively, there could also be an installment plan. So, what <laughs> what may be an insane high price for these these wings of their ship may be recurring costs, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, you did get the the sweet crew quarters with each have your own bed this time, uh, but it's causing you it's costing you three thousand mulongs every month because you you can't afford to buy it outright. Because we bought it on layaway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you put it on layaway. Yeah, that does fit in with the theme. Like it is, we're doing a lot of stuff on credit here, right? <laughs> uh, I, just as a tangent, um, an actual play show that I really enjoy called it's called Dimension Twenty. Uh, they're currently starting a new season with uh, with a sci-fi setting. Uh, they're using the Star Wars 5e book, uh, or rule set anyway. One of their characters suffer... Spo- sorry, mild spoilers for the first episode of uh, Starstruck Odyssey. Uh, one of their characters, he undergoes a tragic accident in space, and they reconstruct him as a cyborg, but he had no insurance. So now he has this exorbitant fee he has to pay off to just because he, to maintain living and every breath costs him money. So it's like, it's like the $6 million man, but he's got to pay (laughs) it all Yes, he's got to pay the 6 million (laughs) and it keeps increasing with the more breaths he takes. Oh no. (laughs) That is a fantastic flaw. (laughs) So yeah, get weird with it, folks. It's a, it's only, it's only for in your benefit. 
to have weird debts to pay. <laughs> yeah, I think that that fits in with this. Um, uh, we don't know how long running games of this will go yet, right? Like we're we're still in the get one session in focus at this mm. point, right? We're just trying to figure out, finish out a rule set that lets you loop through one one bounty and like a lot of these just tie into the economics right or tie into items and weapons and yeah so it's effectively like what we'll want to do is see everything that's like yeah you know as we're watching the show i've been keeping like a list of items a list of ships a list of phrases a list of um, last week, I had started a list of drinks that we've seen in the Cowboy Bebop universe, right? Thing, things like that that just fill in the gaps, right? Our, our, our stated goal here is still to be able to play any of the adventures that occur on the show at your table. And that means we need to know how all these things work, right? <laughs> It also helps to have a list of items to reward players with, or maybe they can you know, they can freely use, like the the ships, you know, super powerful all sensor, you know, items. It's always it's always good to have some sort of example of what can be done in this world. Yeah. What else are you thinking about with ships, Lee Joe? When it comes down to it, I want ship battles to be quick and exciting and fluid. And I don't want people to get too hung up with maneuvering and optimal modes of play. So I'm trying to figure out how to add spectacle to everything. And that's the thing that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. When it's your turn to move, you'll probably say something. You'll describe how you you maneuver yourself into an optimal fashion and then, you know, pew, pew, there goes your laser cannon or your grappling hook or whatever, you know, what may have you in your, your, your specialized zip craft. But how do you, how do you keep it interesting while the, the meters are filling? Mm-hmm. Cause I imagine we're still using our various, uh, you know, motivation meters mm-hmm. or bebop bars or what, what have you. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. One of, one of the things I've been thinking about as well, cause like, I do like the idea of the meters still. But, yeah, without, well, so I, the way I would think of it is it's similar, like, every roll is still a graded success of some kind, right? You roll a hard one, and that's not a failure, but it is not a great success, right? Whereas if you roll the top of your die, it, it, that definitely feels much better, right? So it, it's kind of like if you describe, hey, I want to fire my grappling hook at the enemy ship, right? Uh, if you roll a one, it might be that, oh, you're, you know, yeah, you you fired it and you've spooked him a little bit, but you did not hook on, right? It, it didn't quite attach. Whereas if you roll, you know, if you're if it's just a D4, let's say, you roll a four on that one and you say, yeah, you, you nailed it, right? You you hooked him. You, you accomplished what you were trying to do. And that affects, you know, the next player's turn or it affects the the person you're hunting's turn, right? Because now they have to deal with the scenario at hand, right? Uh, Similarly, like, maybe if you rolled a higher die because you've got a higher skill with it, like, maybe it goes even beyond, like, not only did you roll that D4, 
or not only did you did you hook it, like maybe you've damaged something on his ship, so now he can no longer do something, right? Like like I, I'm wondering how to integrate that kind of thinking in a you know, you know, a more or less defined way, right? That I like the idea that yeah, you're just filling meters, but what you're doing still has grades, right? I think what it worries me is you are giving a GM a lot of leeway. And that is a good thing because the if a GM is competent, they can make it a cinematic experience. But also, if I'm the guy who just got grappled and you just said, oh, it broke a part of my ship just because he rolled a four, uh, it doesn't feel great, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think about... When it's PC versus NPC, I think having that little flourish is great. But if we ever end up in a contest of player characters, uh, how do you how do you want to adjudicate, you know, criticals? Yeah. No, I, I've not thought about player versus player at all, honestly. Like, it's not even something I had considered. I don't know if these meters will work that way, right? Like, it's... Well, the meters actually, so I take it back. I think the meters themselves would work. Could you then still flavor the meters the way I just described? I don't know, right? Like it, it would feel, yeah, you're right. It would feel real bad <laughs> if, um, well, one of, one of the things we don't have as well are opposing checks, right? There, we have not talked about that at all. Uh, I don't know if that exists in this game yet. Uh, opposing checks are great for PvP. Right, this idea that hey, I have a skill at this thing, and you have a either the same skill or a complementary skill, right? Like it's your, uh, it's your sneak versus this, uh, yeah, your sneak versus your perception, right? Or it's your uh, competing strengths, right? We don't have that yet, right? Like there, I don't, I can't think of an instance of of that happening in the show yet. Like I mean, be early on when Faye was not yet part of the crew. Right, they're they're flying against each other, or they're trying to capture her. Right, but is that player versus player at that point? At that point, I would argue that Faye is still an NPC at that point. Yeah, presumably the antagonist is going to react to whatever the protagonist is going to do. Mm-hmm. If you if you shoot someone, they're going to attempt to dive out of the way. Generally, mm-hmm. um, so. Opposed roles are interesting, but when would you use them? Is it when, you know, in in D&D, often pushing, shoving, grappling are all things you do to get a statistical advantage. Um, And those are usually based on some sort of opposed role. So I guess my question is, in my fight in the the bar, and I want to grapple a guy so that he stops fighting so I can question him in a minute... Uh, is that an opposed roll, or can I, if I roll, uh, you know, I, I roll all the way up to a D, D8, is that fine? Is it good? Have I done it? So so question. I think if it is, so again, you know, using our encounter system, right, that is, your goal is to capture this guy and question him, right? So the encounter, the bar that we've set up is uh, my character, my our, the protagonists want to capture and question this person. Right. And if your action, your skill is a hand-to-hand skill right, of some kind, so you're, you're rolling your D8 for that hand-to-hand skill, well, I, the, the 
the game master, have set some difficulty for capturing and questioning this guy, right? You're the goal of your meter. Mm. And whatever you roll on your D8 will fill up that meter. And if it's hitting the value that I've set for that meter, then yeah, you've done it, right? But your D8 might not match, you know, if, even if you roll the 8, if the skill check is, or if the encounter check is for 25, right? Then, then you've only filled at max 8 on this, on this meter. So it is an incremental gain towards the ultimate goal of kidnapping and questioning this guy. Right. Uh, that person's goal might be something else, right? It might be uh, grab the bottle of whiskey behind the bar and then escape, right? Like that might be that person, that NPC's goal instead. So they have their own meter to worry about, and they're they're rolling actions in order to try to get out of that. Uh, the opposed role to me really still only fits for player versus player in this game. Right, like it's only if you want. Well, I mean, we we could uh, the the principle might still just be like it is, uh, you know, it is always affirmative. Right, when I attempt this thing, yeah, you know, I I've done. If I roll low, it's a it's not a good it's not a successful attempt. Right, it's a poor attempt. You have attempted it, uh, you've done it a little, which oftentimes is not enough. Right. Mm-hmm. So even if you're trying to grapple somebody, right, and you roll low, it's like, yeah, you've got a weak hold on him. Right? You, you, you've reached out, you've grabbed an arm, but loosely. Right? So you've done it, <laughs> but just poorly. Right? So the next, you know, if it's the other, if it's the person you're fighting's turn now, they'll know that they're weakly held. <laughs> right? So they're going to do something that uh, takes that into account. Hopefully. And then, yeah, and then... It takes an action, right? Instead of, like, the opposition is not a straight opposed role, but it is, I'm going to take another action, right? I think that might be the, I think that might be the way to do this. It feels fair, but I do want to see what it looks like in practice. So I think pretty soon we're going to have to start thinking about, uh, you know, stress testing the, the whole system. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's coming. So keep listening into the podcast because playtests are coming. did you know it's almost the 23rd anniversary of the original air date of this episode no this uh this aired january 23rd 1999 so what day is it today don't worry about it it is weird to think that this show is yeah, over 20 years old. And, and so in my head, I don't know about you, Lee Joe, but when I think of 20 years ago, I think it's 1985. Yeah, I mean, I do think similar, similarly too, but also because we're older. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's hard to believe that this show was actively running before I was in high school, <laughs> right? And... <laughs> I didn't get into anime the way I, I am now until well into college. So uh, this is more or less a hidden gem that I was ignoring for years and years. And now there were always things like Toonami on a, on a Cartoon Network and uh, that was my introduction. other yeah. venues to acquire anime. But, you know, it wasn't until everything was on the internet for free <laughs> that I could <laughs> enjoy these things. Yeah, it is, it is interesting that... We kind of lived through the original 
And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Betamax, I guess, at some point in the future, because that's coming. But, you know, we, we mm-hmm. lived through the beginning of the anime era where the only, well, not the beginning even, but, we, you know, we lived through the, the era of anime where the only way to get stuff was for somebody to have gone to Japan, recorded a VHS tape, and then brought it overseas and then made copies for everybody. Like, like, like uh, that was the way this stuff was distributed before because there was no market. There was no outlet. And to have lived through that into the, you know, how, ma- how many streaming services are available now? And you can get day one anime translated into every language, like immediately, <laughs> right? Like it's... Pretty much. It's wild that this whole industry exists now. Yeah. Uh, it, again, it's it's one of those thing. It's always the joke of that the old timer had to climb up a hill both ways to get to wherever. And I could, you know, as old timers ourselves, and dear listener, we are in our 30s. We're not that, not old, that old, but we're yeah. old enough. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> I think about how difficult anime was to acquire uh you know not even 10 15 years ago and now literally every it is not only is it a cultural mar you know a cultural touchstone like everybody's watching anime now uh but it's it's so readily available uh so yeah i'm a little jealous but also you know it, kids uh, there's these a days lot of bad anime out there yeah <laughs> get off my lawn as miyazaki says Anime was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I don't really watch anime, so like it pretty much started and stopped with Cowboy Bebop for me. You're missing out. I guess so. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a it's a golden age for anime, but also there's still plenty of trash. <laughs> Stay tuned next season for when we convert some other trash into a tabletop game you can play. What, we're not going to go through all of the Watanabe uh, series for, you know, Samurai Shampoo, then Carol and Tuesday, and then a little bit of uh, Space Dandy. What's that one? Is it Space Dandy? I don't remember. Yeah, because again, I, I have not watched any of these other shows. <laughs> we did get a request already for Samurai Shampoo, so that, all right. that is strongly considered. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we've been rambling on. Uh, Legia, did you have fun today? Was this fun? It always is. I, I wouldn't do this podcast if I wasn't having fun, you know? <laughs> well, then I guess somehow we'll see you again next week. Uh, next week on the podcast, we are looking at My Funny Valentine. It's Valentine's Day, Legio. You ready for that? Oh, no. I forgot to get a girlfriend. Oh, uh, well, better luck next year. I got Faye Valentine for that, you know? <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you've got questions, suggestions, or if you're starting your own Bebop Tabletop session, you can reach us on Twitter, at Bebop Tabletop. I'll cut that. I don't think I like that.